living bread. You may know this, it's also good for you to know this, that every parish has an emergency phone that if somebody's dying or in an accident and you need a priest to come and offer last rites, you call your local parish. Similarly, here in Flagstaff, anybody in Flagstaff, including on campus, there's San Francisco de Assis, they have a system in place to respond. And so the priests were sharing with me this week, and we, we, when we talk about it, even from my own experience, more at my previous parish than here, that most of the people who call, though, are people who are away from the church. Because faithful Catholics are usually a little more aware to be like, let's not wait till the last minute, you know? Because <laughs> we don't want to judge that wrongly, you know? And so usually the people who call at the last minute the majority are, are fallen away Catholics. And so that's what happened this week when one of the priests was called at 2 a.m. And so he's, he's talking to this, this woman, this daughter, and interestingly, the, her father's not even in Flagstaff, it's in Phoenix, but anyways, so, um, and she, she kind of got a little, she started getting angry, and she was saying things like this, I don't understand why my dad wants a priest. He hasn't gone to church in years. What am I supposed to do? And so the priest patiently spent an hour with her on the phone, trying to you know, help the father, but, but really help her, because she was anxious and worried, and, and, and so trying to support her, help her to, to see things. And, but, but there's something about it, that even for people who've fallen away from the faith, that, that, that deep down, especially when it comes to life and death, that, that our faith in Christ, that, that I need Jesus, the one who has power over life and death. And Jesus, who is the one, who, the way, the truth, and the life, gives us the Eucharist, his living bread to be our strength, to take us from this life to the next. Today we celebrate the most holy body and blood of Christ in which we ponder this mystery of Christ in the Eucharist. And it is a mystery. Uh, if you remember from last week, the word mystery means not something unknowable, but something infinitely knowable. That, that you and I, if we don't fully understand the Eucharist, welcome to the Catholic Church, right? That, but we will... But it doesn't mean we shouldn't try. But through our journey, through the rest of our lives, we will come to understand the Eucharist more and more. That, that, that what is brought forward as ordinary bread and wine, that even though they still look like bread and wine and taste like bread and wine, thankfully, um, that really they become the substance of Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And... I, I have two quick apologetics that help me to understand this a little bit. Um, Jesus says at the Last Supper, this is my body. And it's a silly illusion, but it helps me. In the movie Bruce Almighty, do you remember when, when he, he's in the, the cafe and he's got the soup and he says to the waitress, excuse me, may I have a spoon? And when he says the word spoon, a spoon comes out of his mouth. That for God, when God speaks, realities come into existence, right? 
So God has power. God can't say two plus two equals five. God can't say that. God speaks truth. And so Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And the, this is the second apologetic that helps me. The, the Greek words, that when Jesus says eat, the Greek word is trogon, T-R-O-G-O-N. And it means to chew or to, to gnaw. Like, and it's also a similar word in Greek for goat, because goats sit there and chew and gnaw, right? And the word he chooses for, for flesh, eat my flesh, is sarx, S-A-R-X. And the word sarx is, means like if you were to have a piece of chicken and you took a bite and tore it from the bone, that sarx is like flesh like torn from the bone. And so when Jesus says to this Jewish crowd that you need to eat my flesh, they're like, oh my gosh, this is cannibalism, this is crazy. Like they actually under, they understood it. That's why some of them walk away because they're like, we're not going to do that. But they don't fully understand that what Jesus is talking about is his, his presence in the Eucharist. That he is truly present, that he is really present, that he is sacramentally present. The early church, there was even a, a time when the church, when they discussed, okay, and they even were told, maybe some of you were told, that like, don't, when, if you bite the host, you're like breaking Jesus' arm. And the church actually discussed this in like the ninth century, and they said, that no, no, it's not his um, like physical presence, because physical has to do with physics. So if it was his physical presence, then we would put it under a microscope and see Jesus, you know, like, you know, like, <laughs> so it's not physical, but it is truly and real and sacramental um, in, in a way that's mysterious. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. We wouldn't believe it. We wouldn't follow it. We wouldn't teach it if Jesus, God, didn't give it to us. But it, but it, but it actually kind of makes sense that the God who comes to be with us and to invite us into union with him wants us to have union with him. He says, come, have union. Come union. And so we who are in union with his body, the Catholic Church, we come forward to come have union with him. And it's something that's been with us from the beginning of the church. St. Ignatius of Antioch in the year 106 said this, he's writing a letter to somebody, he said, they abstain from the Eucharist and from prayer because they confess not the Eucharist to be the flesh of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That he's talking about these people who are avoiding prayer and avoiding Mass because they don't believe it's really Jesus. Because if we really believe that it's Jesus, that there, there's no more important we could be. There, there's a story of a, a Catholic, it's kind of a, it's a story, I don't know if it's real, but this, of this man, Catholic man walking down the street, and he's walking with his friend who, we'll say, happens to be a good, faithful Muslim. And, and he, the Muslim looks over and he sees the Catholic church and sees people coming and going and says, oh, do you guys have a service or something? He goes, no, there, you know, service was this morning, there's nothing going on, except that, you know, Jesus is in the tabernacle, you know, God is there, so people are going in to spend time with God in prayer. And this faithful Muslim's walking, and he stops. And, he, and the Catholic looks at him, and he's like, hello? He's like, well, 
friend, I don't believe what you do about God and the Eucharist or whatever. But if I did, I would go in that church, fall on my face, and never get up. That if that is truly God, like there's nothing more important. And, and all this searching for God and in and, and all sorts of ways, as we can imagine, or we know people who do all sorts of things, to look for God and to encounter his peace and energy and all that, God doesn't, he didn't make us to have to figure it out. He, he actually makes it simple and gives us himself if we're humble enough to believe him and receive him. When I became a, a youth minister before seminary, I, I was aware that I, like, I, I question my own faith. I'm like, I don't know if I have enough faith to be teaching other people about God. And so that first night of being a youth minister, I, on the way home, I stopped by my local church, Our Lady of Perpetual Help in Scottsdale, that has perpetual adoration. So I went in and prayed. And then the second night, I was on my way home, I was like, oh, I'll stop by again. And then the third night, so I, I didn't intend to do this, but it, I, I started stopping by every day to be able to pray, no matter how hard my day was, no matter how incompetent I felt, that I would go into that chapel and just sit with the Lord and say, Lord, you called me. Lord, you're God. You can do anything, even with my limited ability. And, and I would just feel his peace and his presence. And I, I've come to, I can, I can pray anywhere, you know. Um, I, I also can pray in nature. I enjoy that. But nothing compares to, to praying with Jesus, God, right there. I mean, why do we pray? We pray to draw close to God. And when we, when we pray in a chapel or a place where the Lord is, like, he's there. Like, the answer is, he's there. And so I, I, maybe I, an invitation through that for all of us is, if you haven't experienced that, if you... If, if this is the one time in the week that you come to church, that's great. But I invite you to take some time outside of Mass to, to pray with the Lord in the chapel. And even that's something you can invite non-Catholics to. Like, I want to help my friend who's not Catholic or whatever. Bring him, bring him to church to pray in the chapel. And, and have him say, just, just tell God all about what's bothering you and let him just listen. And so I, I would encourage everybody to to take an hour a week if we don't maybe we do more than that that's great but at the very least to take an an hour where we go and just sit in the church that's what they call a holy hour right you have people like what does it mean to make a holy hour it's like well you just sit for an hour in a holy place you know so well i don't know what to do well you could just sit but you could you could pray rosary you can read scripture talk to your friends other people they'll give you ideas until you find what works for you. And so I, I, think, I think what that's good is, so for, for two reasons I think that's helpful. And it's, what's beautiful in Flagstaff, we have a perpetual adoration chapel. So that means that any of us, whether right after Mass or 2 a.m. tonight, you know, that if we want to go pray in the chapel, we can. And, and so for me, it's good to schedule a holy hour for two reasons. One is... Because then I know, especially when we're like, I want to grow in my relationship with God, but I'm not really sure how to do it, and I always forget to pray, I just fall asleep. 
But when you schedule an hour, well then, it's like making an appointment with a friend. And our best of friends, to go and to sit with him for an hour. And so I know at the very least, it's going to be a crazy week, but at the very least, I know I'm going to have that hour just to sit with the Lord. But the second reason that it's really good is when people schedule those holy hours, it makes it so that that chapel is open. It makes it so people like little youth minister Matt Lowry has somewhere to go at midnight to pray. Or for the college students here who who aren't here year-round and and aren't able to schedule a set hour, maybe a lot of us are in that boat, But, but because, thankfully, of the people in this community who do do that, that chapel is open to the students at any time that the Lord moves them or they're overwhelmed or depressed and anxious, and they just want to go talk to their Lord. So just throw that out there. Maybe that's for you back home or whatever. Um, and there's ways to work it out. Like, I'm going to be out of, t- I'm out of town a lot. It's like, well, there's, there's substitutes, call a friend, that kind of stuff. We can, there's ways to work that out. But it, what a gift to be able to, to be reminded that I don't have to do it on my own. The Jesus who is alive, the Jesus is present, wants to be with me. And the people of the Old Testament today, they faced, we hear they faced slavery, a vast and terrible desert, seraph serpents and scorpions, parched and waterless ground. Today, students, we face calculus and roommates and not having enough money for ice cream, you know, that it makes me wonder that the Israelites were so aware of their complete dependence on God. That if God does not give us our daily bread, if God does not give us manna, we're going to starve. And I think today we, we have so many, I don't know, of our necessities there that, that we've forgotten that perhaps we're starving for something more meaningful. That, that we're thirsty in other ways. That, that maybe we've become, it's easy for us to become complacent because... I don't pray and my world just keeps going. I don't go to church and no lightning hit me. You know, like it's just like that we've we've forgotten that are we any less dependent upon God? And and it says in the first reading that that God like allowed them, he allowed them to suffer, which got their attention. And And I pray that I don't have to go through suffering for God to get my attention that I can actually turn and be with our Lord today. On Divine Mercy Sunday, I shared this a little bit before, that I, I celebrated Mass at my parents' house, the first, first and only time I've done that. And I gave my dad communion, which was, um, he wasn't really conscious, so I took a, a spoon and you take a few drops of the precious blood and put it in his mouth. And you and I, we call that viaticum, which is a Latin word that means on the way with. That, and it's actually the most fitting sacrament for the dying. Because as you and I make this journey from death to life, that what we need the most, who we need the most, is Jesus. The living bread. The bread for our journey. The bread given us today, the bread that's always available to us. And one day it will be our last communion. The last time we receive that that bread for the journey as we make that final step of the journey from this life to the life of joy that will never end. 
Jesus never intended us to go through any desert alone. And so he gives us his presence enduring in the church and says that unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread will live forever.